Well, hey, we are glad that you made it here. Uh, No matter how you got here, we're just glad you made it in the door because we know how crazy it can be on Sunday morning just to get the family here. Uh, If you've been tracking with us last week, we talked about this idea of what does it mean uh, to be a family? What does it mean to be a family uh, that follows after Jesus? And uh, this month we've been having this conversation about this idea of what does it mean to be the church in the here and now? How do we become the church in the here and now that God wants us to be and become? And what does that mean for us even as, as individual families? And even last week we talked about this idea, if you were here with us, that we all have this desire, don't we, to be a picture perfect family. But that's just, that was never God's desire. That was never God's design. And like we said last week, what God's desire for you and for I is, is for us to have a family that builds its foundation on Jesus so that we can launch kids who will follow Jesus. And so today we want to kind of press into that a little more, lean into that a little more, and, and, and think about truly what does it mean to be the family of God, to be a faith, to be a faith family uh, in the here and now. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a great conversation to have. I remember when I was um, in middle school, I, I played on uh, our basketball team, and, uh, and the coach put me into the game. There was a few minutes left before halftime, and, and I was having a great time going up and down the court playing basketball with my friends and Maybe you've seen a scene like this, but uh, the other team scored and uh, one of our players took the ball and inbounded it to me and I start driving down the court. And as I'm coming down the court, I hear the crowd start chanting, 10, 9, 8. And I knew it was close to halftime, so I start, you know, going as fast as I can, dribbling down court. This is that moment, right? 7, 6, 5, I'm like, this is it. The clock is run, run, you know, running out and I've got the ball. I've, I've, I've played this over and over again in my backyard a thousand times. This is every kid's dream, right? Five, four, I'm coming across the, the half court line. I make a move around the first guy, I dribble up. Three, two, I take the ball, I begin to shoot. One, it leaves my hand. And all of a sudden I have this realization. It's like time slowed down. I'm in the middle of the air. The ball is flying out of my hand. It's really probably, I'm probably too far away from the rim, farther than I should be because at this point in my middle school career, I'm not that great of an outside shooter. But the ball is out of my hand. It's out of my control now. And I'm realizing as the buzzer is about to go off that something is wrong. And I'm hanging in midair having this whole conversation in my head like, wait, with all that I have, I'm like, what is happening? Because in the background, instead of hearing the, cheer, the, 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 the crowd cheering or, or hearing the, the crowd gasp in awe of my incredible basketball prowess, what I hear is laughter. And I'm like, what? what's going on? Well, sure enough, my feet hit the floor. The ball hits the rim. The other team gets the ball and drives down the court and hits a layup. Did I mention this was an away game? And... The kids from the other school thought it'd be really funny to start counting down the clock, even though there was still plenty of time left in the half. Yeah. And so as soon as my feet hit the floor and they go down to score and I look up at the clock, I just am overcome. A, I'm like just confused, but B, I'm like really embarrassed. I'm like, what? And you're just, oh, really? Man. You know, I think this is true in our families too. When we come under pressure, we, we tend to do things out of the ordinary. We tend to act or react in ways we n- normally wouldn't. And sometimes when we're under pressure, don't we, we even do the wrong thing. This happens all the time. Ha- have you ever seen this equation? Uh, I'm not sure if we have any uh, engineers in the room. There's an equation I want you to see on the screen here if we can put that up, Lexi. Um, here it is. Q equals 1 over 2 PV to the second. Anybody know this equation? Some of you, whoa, I'm, I'm actually incredibly impressed. 
<laughs> this, is, this is an aerospace uh, engineering equation uh, for what's called max Q, or maximum dynamic pressure, okay? So uh, I can't tell you the, how this all works out. I'll tell you what I know, and I think you'll, you'll get the drift. Max Q is that term, is that reference in aerospace engineering that refers to when a space shuttle is launched in outer space, it's going up at, at this incredible velocity, and the, max Q is the moment when it's under the maximum dynamic pressure that it's going to face. And it's at this moment, at max Q, it's normally around, uh, around 60 seconds into the flight, around a minute into the flight, of the space shuttle. It's at this moment when it's under max U, under the maximum dynamic pressure at its current velocity, that it is either A, going to slip through that pressure into the sweet by and by of outer space, or it's going to crash and come back down to the ground. And the only way that a space shuttle is going to make it through max Q, and the only way it's going to, going to make it through to outer space and endure this moment of maximum dynamic pressure, the only way it's going to do it is if everyone at this point has done their job. If every piece of that space shuttle operates and functions as it's exactly supposed to, and if all of that comes together, then the most incredible thing happens. When that space shuttle and its crew hit max Q, it goes from that moment of maximum dynamic pressure into the orbit of Earth. And it is awesome. Now, I thought about that this week a lot. Because I think this is true for a lot of our families. A lot of our families, it seems to me at least, this is my, my thought on the, on the situation, are, at least today in, in our world, under a constant state of max Q. We have families that are in a constant state of maximum dynamic pressure. Stress on families, I'm not sure it's ever been at a higher point. I really believe this is true. In fact, I know this is true for our children and for our students and for our teenagers. There's never been a time in our history, I don't believe, maybe you can argue this point, where our children have been under more stress. When the, when the, uh, the expectation and the pressure to achieve at school, to get incredible grades so they can get into incredible colleges, it's never been so high. The pressure to, to excel in every sport or every extracurricular activity that, that they participate in has never been at a higher premium. Uh, there's never been more pressure for them to do well in every area of life. And not only that, but to behave perfectly in every area of life, to not embarrass the family. The pressure is, the stress is incredibly high. And not only that, I'm not sure there's ever been a time in the history of our people when our families have been traveling at higher velocities than they are today. You don't even have to do research on this. Just look at your calendar, right? I mean, we are stretched thin. You know, families are trying to keep up with their calendars. We're all scheduling things left and right. There's things coming up every weekend, every night of the week. There's never been more pressure, and, and, and we're never been moving at a higher pace to get homework done, to stay up late, to get the project done, to make it to the dance practice, the sports practice, the ball practice, the band practice, the whatever practice. And, and it's just on and on and on, and there's no such thing as margin in our life. And not only that, but to do all these things, we have to have a mom and dad who are constantly at work, and even when they're off, even when they're at home, even when there's this time called margin where we have an hour of the day to be with our kids, what happens is we get that text message or that urgent email and it presses in into that sacred space that we have with our kids. And all of a sudden we've got to respond to crisis that's on the other side of our screen because if we don't, things won't go well tomorrow and we're pulled away again. And all of this leads to this, this, this place in our lives where we have never been as families under more pressure and under more stress and traveling at higher velocities than we are 
today. And here's what I think the real problem is. The real problem is, is that when our families hit max Q, they don't leave max Q. We're trying to live under maximum dynamic pressure while traveling at incredibly high velocities. And that's a problem. And as I think about all that, I also think about this. What separates those families that seem to hit max Q and are able somehow to push through to the other side and make it into that blissful orbit of earth into outer space between those families and those other families that when they hit max Q, they, they do fall apart. What's the difference in those two, if there's any? This is, I think this is a huge problem that we have to deal with in our culture, but it's a huge problem for us to deal with in our church because I don't think this was ever God's design or God's desire for our families. And yet we're under the constant pressure to live up to this standard. The good news is I really do believe God has a better desire and a better design for your family and my family and for this church family. But to get there, we have to hit rewind. And, and when I say that, I don't, I don't mean to rewind to some blissful age in, in the American family when, when life was maybe a little bit slower and maybe a little bit simpler and we remember the good old days. I don't even mean to, to rewind to some grandiose old time way back when that none of us remember that was supposed to be great, but we don't even know because we didn't live during that time. What, what I mean when I say rewind is I think we have to rewind all the way back to some of God's earliest words on the family and listen in and lean in and try to discern what his desire and what his design is for us. And Jason read it earlier as we gathered together, and I want to I share it with you again. I want you to hear these words, some of God's earliest words on his desire for the family. It's found in Deuteronomy 6, and you've probably heard these words a lot. These are some of the most quoted words of all of Scripture in Scripture, and some of the most quoted words in Scripture around the world. In fact, in the, in the day of Jesus, his people would recite these words at least twice a day, every morning when they rose and every night when they went to bed. And even today, in our day and age, Jews who are practicing their faith still repeat these words every morning and every evening. It's called the Shema because in their original language, in the Hebrew language, they would say this, Shema Israel, Adonai Elohim, Adonai Echad. Hear or listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And even right there in that phrase, we, when we lean into it, we begin to understand that these words, even just these few words, these six words, pack such punch. Because in the original language, the word to hear or the word to listen, it didn't just mean, hey, pay attention. It, mean, it meant to, to hear and obey, to listen and take action, to hear the word of God and not obey, to listen to the word of God and not take action was the same as not hearing him at all. Hear, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. 
Repeat them again and again and again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and gates. And if you know anything about the ancient faith, you know that people took these words literally. I don't, I don't, I'm not really sure they were meant to be taken literally, but they did. And so they would literally write the words of the Shema on the door frames of their houses. They would literally put, put these passages and a few other passages like it in little bitty boxes. And they would, they would tie them to their arms and tie them to their heads and tie them to their wrists as reminders of the word of God. In literal ways, they, did, they practiced these words because they didn't want to forget the word of God. But here's what I think. I think for a long time we've heard these words, even in, even in this church. And we've preached these words and we've taught these words, but I, I really believe we've misheard these words. I think we've preached them a certain way for so long that we don't even, it might even be hard for us to understand or to, to, to re-understand their original intent. And here's what I mean by that. I think we've, we've read these words over and over again. And, and by the way, this isn't a bad understanding of the text. If this is the way you've always believed, I think this is totally fine and I hope you believe this. I think for far too long we've always read this text and we've thought, when when God spoke these words to the family, he spoke these words to my family. And he spoke these words to your family. So he's saying, here, O Trevathan family, or here, O Monroe family, or here, O Betachek family, or here, O Smith family. You know, here are the words of God. Tell them to your children every day, over and over again. When you're going, when you're coming, when you're rising, when you're going to bed, on the road, out and about, at home, everywhere. And that's a good way to understand these words, but... That's not what it says. I mean, if if you're just reading the words, it says, listen, O Israel. These were the words of God for the collective people of God, for the children of God. what, What I'm trying to say is that these were God's words to all of his people collectively regarding all of his children collectively. You see, I, I don't, I really don't think God ever wanted to put the full weight and the full burden of you raising your children to know Jesus on you and you alone. What I believe is if you look back through the pages of scripture, you'll find is that God has given us together a share in the responsibility of raising up the next generation to know him and to love him and to serve him. And that this is God's desire. In fact, as you read the passage over again, what you can't see in your English translation is that when when it says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, the word you there isn't you individual, it's you plural. All of you, Israel, all of you should love the Lord your God. And I believe if God was gonna give us this word today, you know what he would say? Well, let's just read it again with us in mind. Listen, O Riverside, church. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you, all of you, must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And you, all of you, must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. All of you should repeat them again and again to your children. All of you should talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. 
All of you should tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. All of you should write them on the doorpost of your houses and your gates because this is all of our responsibility for all of our children. And this is why this is so important. Because your faith is not just about you. And what you do is not just about you. You see, your faith and what you believe and how you live out or how you don't live out your faith, it doesn't just affect you, it affects me. And it doesn't just affect your kids, it affects my kids. Here's what I believe. I believe maybe one of Satan's most brilliant achievements in driving the church crazy and wedging a a foothold in this place is what he's done over and over again is convince you that your faith and your spirituality only affects you. And then if you fall or if you stumble or that if you don't live out your faith in a certain way on a Thursday, that that, 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 that's just between you and God. But that simply is not the story of Scripture. Because over and over again, what God has taught us and what Jesus lived out in front of us is that when we come together in faith, we come together as a family of faith. And what you do and how you live out your life of faith affects me and my family and how we live out our life of faith and how my family and I live out our family of faith and our way of faith affects you and your family and your kids. And what happens is when we all come together, what happens is that together we bear the responsibility and we share the responsibility of raising up the next generation of people who will know God, love God, serve God, and follow his son Jesus. And here's why this is so, so, so important. Because what happens when families come under maximum dynamic pressure? What happens when a family gets isolated and doesn't have a faith family around it Well, let me ask you this question. Do you remember where you were on January 28th, 1986? Think back. Are you good at that? Some of you know this already because you've you've kept up with the news this week. 30 years ago this week, you'll remember was when the space shuttle Challenger took off. Some of you remember this day. I remember this day. I remember where I was. I was in in elementary. Sorry about that if that makes you feel a little older. And... uh, they brought in the TVs to turn on the news so that all of us could witness what was happening and they realized it was an important moment in American history. 73 seconds after taking off, the space shuttle Challenger hit max Q. And at that moment when it hit max Q, it did not slip into Earth's orbit. In fact, something much tragic, much more tragic happened. And before our very eyes, as NASA launched that space shuttle, its seven crew members passed away in an instant. A year later, the LA Times wrote a piece, and I just want to read you one paragraph, just four sentences really, on what they said about the, the space shuttle Challenger. They wrote, at 43 seconds, Challenger throttled down its main engines to 60% of their thrust. The solid boosters, which cannot be throttled down, continue to provide 80% of the enormous power necessary 
to attain Earth's orbit. As Challenger entered Max-Q, the period when the shuttle faced its greatest dynamic pressure, the ride shook the stack and the vibration broke the temporary sill and the O-ring failed. And at that moment, you know the rest of the story. What's really sad to me about this story and about Challenger is that the story didn't have to go that way. If you remember the news at all, you remember this. That the Space Shuttle Challenger's launch had actually been delayed several times. And they probably, well, they certainly should have. You know this, right? We know this from history. They should have delayed it at least one more time, but they didn't. But there were concerns and there were people. There were those who thought better of it. But for whatever reason, they weren't heard. And the Space Shuttle was launched anyway. And the result was tragic. Here's my point. Let's not let that happen to our families. Let's not be silent. Let's not be the ones who don't speak into each other. In fact, let's come around each other. And let's be those layers of protection. Let's be those layers of voices. Let's be those people who love each other enough that we'll step into the fray, we'll step into the gap, and we'll be there. And we won't just be a family, an individual family that follows after Jesus, but instead what we're going to become is a faith family who together, all together, are trying to follow Jesus. This, I really believe this is God's desire, and this is God's design for us. Because what God wants more than anything else, I I really believe, is for those of us who come in this room every week, who call ourselves followers of Jesus, he wants us to love each other so much that, that there's nothing that could ever come between us. Because the one thing that we hold up above everything else is the name Jesus, his son. And that name Jesus is the one name we gather around every week to exalt. And it's not Jesus and something else. It's just Jesus. The moment we add anything else to it, it's not Jesus anymore. So it's just Jesus. And because we lift up just Jesus, there's nothing that can tear us apart because nothing can separate us from the love of God because of what Jesus did for us. And because of that bond that you and I share as men and women, as followers, as family of Jesus, well, what we have, what we have is a room full of faith-filled mothers. And what we have is a room full of faithful fathers. And then what we have is a room full of faithful grandfathers and faithful grandmothers. And what we have is a room full of faith-filled sons and faith-filled daughters and a room full of faith-filled brothers and a room full of faith-filled sisters. And together, we're all encouraging each other on this journey called life to be the faith family of God. You see, this is why this is one of those pillars of our church. Uh, we start with discipleship because we talk about how important it is to follow Jesus. But this bleeds right into this word because what we do when we follow Jesus is like we've talked about, you can't follow the man alone. We have to do it together. And that, that plays out in a lot of ways, but it plays out in no better way than what it means in the life of our family and what it means in the life of our families to be walking together and following Jesus so that together, We are loving and encouraging and raising up the next generation of people who are going to claim Jesus Christ Lord and carry the message 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the generation after them and the generation after them. And and I want to just pause and say this. We can't get caught up in anything else. This matters too much. If you're hung up on anything else, we gotta, we got to figure out a way through it because what matters more than anything, am I right on this, is Jesus. What matters more than anything is carrying his name forward, Jesus. What matters more than anything else is for us to take this name, Jesus, not just to this generation, but to the next generation and to the generation after that. So if we get hung up on anything else, we've got to figure out a way through it because nothing, are you with me? Nothing matters more than lifting up the name Jesus and carrying that name forward to the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that. And it's going to look different. It already looks different. In fact, sometimes we grieve the fact that it looks different. I know I do. Man, when I was growing up in church, church was different. We went three times a week. Imagine that. But you could do it. Life revolved around the church. And there was sacred space in our culture around Sundays and Wednesdays and these times of the week. But times have changed. Culture has changed. There's no sacred space anymore. There's no sacred time in the calendar anymore. It looks different, and that's okay. It has to look different. But the message and the weight of the name of Jesus and the responsibility that we have as a family of believers has not changed. And this is where we have to come together and where it may look different and where it's going to look different even from now in the future. What can't look different is the investment that you make and that I make in the lives of our children for the sake and the name of Jesus Christ. So, the challenge is for you and me. Because I know how you are. Because it's the same way I am. Some of you are thinking right now, man, that sounds awesome, but I, I, you have not seen me with kids. <laughs> like, I'm like the grumpy uncle at Christmas. You don't want me anywhere around them, Right? You know, and we each have different gifts and talents. I get that. We're talking about that right now on Sunday nights. But here's the deal. None of us are exempt. There's no easy way out. There's no corner to hide in. God didn't say, here are some of you in Israel. (laughs) Hey, listen up. Just a few of you have a special gifting or talent in this area. No, this is a responsibility for all of us to come around this message and to ask the question, how? How can I participate? How can I leverage what I've been given, the, the abilities, the talents, the whatever, the resources, the time, the whatever, the energy, into helping raise up in this church, in this place, the next generation of children to know and to love Jesus? And today isn't a call to volunteer to teach, okay? That's some of your gifting, that's great. The call is for us to come together and to love each other and to invest in each other's lives and into the lives of our children so that they can be raised to know their heavenly Father. And if that's up to just any one of us or just any one family, it may or it probably won't even happen. But when we come around each other and we come around our families, then what's going to happen is when our families hit Max Hugh, and they will, we just sang about it in the song before, and when the storms come, we need families that are grounded, yes, on the foundation of Jesus, but we also need families who have the shelter from the family of Jesus. Here's what I believe. The church. The church that becomes the larger faith family will launch the next generation of families that follow Jesus. Now think about this. When I say the church, I don't mean the church building. I mean you. When we, 
when we become not just a church, but a living, breathing, faith-filled family that loves each other and is there for each other. We show up, we stay up, we come up, we make it happen. When we become the larger faith family, we're going to bless families. We're going to help families. And then we're going to launch families for generations to come. We're going to bless the lives of the the children of our children and their grandchildren. And children will never even know their names, but they will know the name Jesus because here in this place we made a decision. We made a decision together to come around each other and to love each other and to be more than a church, but to be a faith-filled family. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of place I want to be a part of. The kind of place that says we love each other and we're going to come around each other and we're going to help each other and we're going to become more than a church. We're going to become a faith family so that those that we don't even know yet will come to know the name Jesus because nothing else matters more than Jesus. Hey, if you will, stand with me real quick, church. I want to close with this verse. If you've, if you've read this passage, then you know what Paul says here, but in Ephesians 6, Paul says these words. He says, Therefore, put on, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, and this is what I want you to hear, you will be standing firm. The battle is going to come. What we care about is that after the battle, after you hit max Q, after you're under that moment of maximum dynamic pressure, your family and my family, we don't explode, but that we're able to make it through those moments of maximum dynamic pressure, that we're able to withstand the battle, we're able to resist the devil, we're able to still be standing firm, because one, our foundation is on the Lord Jesus Christ, and two, we're surrounded by the larger faith family of God. Let's be that family that, yes, builds our faith on Christ alone, but comes around each other in Christ alone to love and to care and to raise up the name Jesus. Let's sing.